uh, I am not the regular preacher. Uh, And because of the job that I do regularly, this presents uh, its certain share of challenges. I'm used to speaking in front of 30 at the most 50 7th through 12th graders. And obviously this morning there's a lot more of you and you're of all different ages. And so while I'm up here, I'm thinking about a whole lot of different things. And sometimes it's, it's hard to stay focused. I'm thinking about what I should do, what I shouldn't do. I'm trying to make sure that my hands don't go all over the place because that's what they do when I speak. I don't know why. The teens probably noticed that. Um, I'm trying to make sure to know when I'm supposed to click these slides. And all these things are going on and it's hard to focus on the, the, the reason that I'm up here. And I look out at you guys and it's no different for you guys. Focus is difficult for us. And sometimes, uh, like Brendan said, we, we just go on autopilot. I look at you guys out there who have kids, especially young kids, maybe toddlers or babies, and focus is hard for you guys. Uh, it's, it's awesome that you even made it here today. You found all the right clothes and matching socks, and, and you got them dressed, and you got you dressed, and you got the car seats in, and you, you did this battle that you do to get to church in the morning, and you finally get here, and you sit in the pew, and your battle for focus has just begun. Because you got one toddler that's kicking the seat in front of him, and the other one is sneezing on the person behind him, and they're fighting with each other, and they're crying, and they're throwing fits, and you're worried that people are getting upset, and that makes it hard to focus on the lesson. I see a lot of you out there who are sitting with your spouse, and some of you guys might be sitting a little further away from each other than you normally do, because maybe it was a hectic morning, and you got in a bit of an argument. Not that that happens to any of us in here, especially Jenny and I, but sometimes we get in arguments, and sometimes we're still thinking about that argument, and we're thinking about how right we were, and we're thinking about how wrong he was, and... (laughs) It makes it hard to focus. I look at our teens right here, and sometimes they come into class in the morning and they look tired. And sometimes I'll ask them, what did you do last night? And inevitably they found some reason that they need, uh, needed to stay up late the night before, very late. It was, it was an important thing. And so some of them are simply struggling just to stay awake. And that can be hard to focus. It's hard for me to focus because some of them even right now, might be making faces at me trying to get me not to focus. It happens. But that's okay. I'm glad that they're just listening. Um, We all have reasons that it's hard to focus. It's hard. It's it's just one of those things. As as people, this is a human thing. But I would argue that in this generation, in, in this present time, that focus is harder than it has ever been. If you look at statistics, you can find that the the human attention span is declining at a rapid rate. Our focus has declined, shrunk by 50% in the past decade, in just 10 years. That's crazy, and we all know why. We have the connection to anything we want instantly in the palm of our hand. We can shop, we can, we can uh, connect with each other, we can watch shows, we can watch movies, we can watch videos, we can text, and as soon as we don't like what we're looking at, we can flip a screen and we can be on something new immediately. There was a study about six or seven years ago that showed that more people on earth own one of these than do a toothbrush. 
So that means that there are more people looking into this black screen and looking at all the things that they want to look at than are brushing their teeth in the world. And that was six or seven years ago. If you go right here to America and you look at the averages, and I saw some studies that were a little less than this and some studies that were quite a bit more, so I tried to go in the middle. But Americans on average pick this up and glance at it 262 times a day. That's once every 5.5 minutes. And when we do sit down and we finally are ready to do our scrolling you know, at the end of a long day because we deserve it or whatever, we're fed with 10-second bursts of information, and that's purposeful. We're fed with quick pieces of information so that the person watching on the other end of us scrolling can see how we react or can grab us. If you're in marketing, which I know some of you are, then chances are you're marketing online, at least I hope you are then you know that you have less than 10 seconds to connect with 90% of consumers. Less than 10 seconds. I also saw an article that compared that to the fact that goldfish have 13 seconds. 13 seconds of attention span. So that's where we're going. It's kind of embarrassing for human beings. (laughs) And so when I read all of this, We all know it's true. I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know. You you would imagine that these are the statistics. And it makes us long for the good old days. And when I say the good old days, I mean like the, the 90s. And we long for the good old days when we weren't staring at our phones. And we weren't, when we weren't doing this. But this isn't going anywhere. After this sermon today, nobody's going home and throwing this away. That's not going to happen. This is the world that we live in. If you look at social media alone, there are 3 billion people connected. And that number is increasing exponentially every day. And because of this, because of this lack of focus, teachers are saying that it's hard for students to focus and connect. Employers are saying it's hard for workers to focus. And as Christians, even though that we would like to say that we're immune to statistics, we'd like to believe that we're not. And it's hard for us to focus. And social media is is one of the biggest problems when it comes to focus. So for those of you who don't know, when you're scrolling through social media, especially the big companies, all the big companies have what's called an algorithm. Some of us know what that means. But for those of you who don't, an algorithm is, is, imagine it's the man watching you as you watch your screen. And as you're scrolling through things, and as you linger on things, and you like things, or you dislike things... Or you, or, or you watch something over and over, or you share something, or you, you linger on an advertisement. That's all being recorded. Everything you do. Social media is not free. All of that's being recorded because that's the product of social media. And what that does is that algorithm then tailors content that's made just for you, which further entrenches you in what is actually their product. And you can really know somebody by looking at their algorithm. If you have of young people who live in your house who are on social media, if your spouse is on social media, it's interesting every once in a while to just trade phones and see what the algorithm is showing to people around you. Because it can be very, very telling. For instance, my algorithm knows, at least to an extent, that I'm a Christian. So I scroll through and I get certain Christian content because it knows I want to see Christian content. So you would think, oh, that's awesome, that's good. He's getting Christian content, that'll help him to focus. But that's just not the case. 
Because all the different ideas and Christian teachings out there have all been given a platform and they're all different from each other. Uh, I'll give you an idea. When I knew that I was going to do this lesson, I started uh, watching what my algorithm showed me so I could share some of it with you. So this is some of the so-called Christian content that I got. Uh, I got an excerpt of a, a fundamental Baptist preacher who was very upset that women were wearing pants. And he didn't use any scripture in his lesson, but he was very upset about it. So I watched that. That was Christian content that I got. Uh, a more serious note, I get there's a trend of millennials who are deconstructing their faith. And some of you guys have seen these videos. And what that means is they're looking back at their childhood. They're my age. And they're looking back at the childhood and the church of their youth. And they're poking holes in, in everything that happened or was done. And they're saying this was wrong and this was wrong and this was wrong and I don't know anything about my faith anymore. And they're deconstructing the faith of their youth and while they're doing it, they're inviting us all to watch, especially our young people as they deconstruct their faith. So I get a lot of content like that. I get a lot of end times content. Uh, preachers who are saying that the end times are near and they can tell you exactly why and they're taking scripture out of context but usually a lot of people are viewing this because they want to understand what's going on in the world. Some of the content that I get that, that bothers me the most uh, are some very prideful men and women who claim to be priests and preachers and pastors, and usually they're dressed completely in, in rainbow-colored robes, and they are working really hard to convince us that, that they have interpreted Scripture different than people have for the last 2,000 years. And they're taking that scripture and they're saying, see, I get to live how I want to live, even if it's sinful. And you can live how you want to live, even if it's sinful. And they're blending that, at least attempting to blend that with the good news of Jesus Christ. I even get atheist content. And what's, what's interesting about the atheist content is most of the time, uh, they're, they're moral atheists. They're encouraging people to be moral without God. They're encouraging people to forgive each other and to be good citizens without God. And that's empty but it's interesting, just like all the rest of this. And as I read this list, these are concepts that have been around for a long time. You guys know what I'm talking about, with the exception of maybe one. But they have never been this pervasive because of the platform that they've been given. And that becomes scary when we look at this section right here. And we start talking about our teens, who are especially 17 and 18 years old, and who are going to go out into the world soon, and when they go out into the world, what do they do? They get on social media if they haven't already, and they start looking through these things. And also at the same time, developmentally, they're detaching from the faith of their parents. So hopefully they're finding their own faith. But the problem is those two things are happening, happening simultaneously, and they get, this, they get slapped with this grab bag of so-called Christian content. It's like a soup, and it threatens to take them to terrible places. And what happens many times is there's someone on there who I think with the help of enemy, the enemy convinces them that something that they always knew was black and white is actually gray. And once they can do that, then it, then it opens them up and they see these many thousands of different Christian beliefs that are adjacent to, but very different from their own. So then they start to ask the question, well, what makes what I learned in safari or loft or youth group or at Northside any different from what all these other people believe? 
And ultimately what happens is we run the risk of losing them. And I say again with the help of the enemy to failing human wisdom that is packaged in a way that caters to their generation and to their attention span. And so in times like this, it's incredibly hard to stay, or it's incredibly important to stay focused on what is right and what is correct and what is biblical and what is good and what is logical. But when I read these statistics, some of us, we lose heart. We get worried. We get tired. But the Bible, as always, gives us the eternal solution to these problems. And, and again, I tell, my, I tell my kids all the time, once we start unraveling the Bible, I told them this morning, once we start unraveling the scripture, we're in trouble. But if we're Bible believers, then the Bible gives us an answer to these things. Now, you guys know this, this verse. Everybody knows this verse. Um, but I'm going to read it to you in light of the statistics that, that I've just revealed to you. So let's listen to this verse with new ears. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Considered him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So in that verse and and coupled with the rest of the awesome and amazing and holy word of God, the object of our focus and the solution to our problems hasn't changed. It's fixing our eyes on Jesus. And when I say that, I mean his life and his words, his example. And we can only get that from reading the word of God. And of course, his death, burial, and resurrection too. But I would argue that during these times, because of what I revealed, what should increase is our urgency to not only teach this focus, but to model this focus, especially to the younger ones in our congregation. If they haven't already, and I'm not just talking about these young people, I'm talking about the, the tiny young people that are sitting next to you or, or, or that went across the way. If they haven't already, our kids are going to enter a storm. And if I'm totally honest, some of our our adults are caught up in the storm. And so now more than ever, we have to equip each other in our teens with a singular focus on the one who calms storms, Jesus Christ, so they can take that with them when they go out and they start to detach from their parents' faith and find their own. So what are the most formidable opponents to our focus on Christ. And we could do a whole series. We could talk forever about all the different things that, that, that tend to make us lose our focus on Christ. But I'm going to talk about two this morning. And the first one, and this might not, not hit soundly with you at first, but, but bear with me. The first one is our desire to have our itching ears scratched. It's our desire to have our itching ears scratched. And those who, who know the verse that that's coupled with, you guys know what I'm talking about. If you read 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's writing a letter and he is charging Timothy to do some very simple but direct things. Very simple but direct things. He tells him to preach the word, to rebuke, and to encourage all with great care and careful instruction. 
And then in the very next verse, he warns that there's going to come a time when people are going to go beyond that simple charge because of their flesh, because of the desires that they have to hear things that are beyond or different than the word of God. And let's, so let's read that verse. And this is 2 Timothy 4.3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And we hear this verse thrown around a lot lately, and rightfully so. I could do a whole sermon with video clips to prove that we are in this time that Paul is talking about. There are a lot of false teachers out there, but one of the things that I tell my teens a lot, one of the things that I'll tell you is when you come across a verse and it condemns something or it warns of something, look at yourself first. It's very, it's a lot easier to poke holes in the wrongness of the world as a whole or another denomination. It's a lot harder to poke holes in yourself and to look at yourself and examine yourself and find negativity. So let's do that. That's what I'm asking you this morning. And I ask myself this. Is there a possibility that your ears are itching to hear something that is man-made, that is beyond or different than the word of God? And if so, what do our itching ears want to hear? Because we don't go from hearing sound doctrine to hearing false teaching overnight. We have baby steps that lead us there. And a lot of, a lot of what drives those steps is, is our desire to hear things that our flesh wants to hear. Many times our ears are itching because we want to hear modern opinions, opinions that are related to our culture, to our current politics, completely blended with the word of God. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Um, we read the Bible here. Northside is, is a Bible-based church, and there's a reason for that. We know that all these events happened thousands of years ago. We know that. Um, why do we still read it? Because it's the inspired word of God. Because it's holy, it's eternal, it's infinite. And the weight of the inspired word of God is beyond us. It's hard for us to measure the pages of, of, of this book, of these books, it's very, very hard. It can't be measured. So if you go to Toby's office or Elaine's office or mine and Mark's, you won't just, see, or if you go to our browsing history for that matter, you won't see just the Bible. You'll see other tools that we use. You'll see commentaries, which, which are great. Uh, you'll see doctrine uh, that's, that's shown in a more modern narrative so we can understand it today, which is a good tool. You'll see books about coping with an old sin in a modern way. Uh, for instance, something like internet pornography, because we need that now because we didn't, it wasn't expressly talked about in the Bible. Uh, we see books that claim to know what the modern church needs uh, that are written by men, and they want to turn the church on its end, and they want us to change everything because they figured it out. And some of these books are right. A lot of these books are right. And we can judge that based on the word of God, but they have one thing in common if they're not the Bible. They hold no weight when compared to the word of God. Zero weight when compared to the word of God. And again, they, they can be good books. I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't read your favorite Christian author. But if books are written by men, they're written by flesh, then they will have the failings of men and the failings of flesh. It's very simple. 
Uh, even an amazing book that sends ripples through the Christian community and creates big issues and big ripples, 10 to 15 years from now, it'll be a new one. And we've seen that happen. And so many times this happens because we want to see our Christianity packaged in a modern way, with modern language and modern solutions to modern problems. And what happens is we start to desire to hear the words of men in the way that we want to hear them more than we do the word of God. And we can see that, again, in our present time. We do this with modern politics. If I started talking about politics of a 100 years ago instead of the Bible, you guys would think that was crazy. But we do that with our modern politics. We do it with our modern culture. And sometimes we desire to hear a spin on our Bible teaching that, that gives a, or a modern spin. We want to hear a conservative spin or a liberal spin. We want something beyond the Bible because our problems, at least we believe, are new and advanced. We tend to take the culture that we live in, these 80 to 100 years, and put that at the forefront of a message that is completely eternal and timeless. And we have to be careful. And I know this from watching social media, so I'll prove this to you. If I were to simply post Romans chapter 8 on social media, the entire chapter, you guys would like it, maybe 20 or 30 of you. Some of you might even read it, but you'd be like, I know Romans 8. But but think about the amount of truth and amazing teaching that's in just one chapter, in Romans 8. But if I, on the flip side, if I were to post, if I were to make a post, a very lengthy one, on who Jeff Martin thinks Jesus would vote for, then we're going to be in for a very bumpy ride. And probably most of you are going to open that post up and you're going to read every word of it to see if you agree. And I get that. It's more sensational. I would read that post too. But my question is, of those two things, what is a better post eternally speaking? Which one of those posts, which, which, which part of that content can change the world and change hearts? And we know it's the word of God. But many of us, myself included at times, would rather see a sensational post that is sprinkled with out-of-context verse than we would hear just the simple and timeless word of God. We have to be careful with that. So that's one of the ways that I see us losing focus. Um, Maybe some of you are not like that. Maybe your ears never itch, but it never hurts to examine yourself. It's a beautiful thing. So moving on, uh, and this is what I believe is the number one focus killer of Christians in 2022. The number one. And and there's many of them. Um, But this one hurts a little bit. I actually texted Clayton McCullough and Gary Brown when I was trying to think of this, and this had, this had crossed my mind, uh, but when they gave a similar answer that had to do with, with this reason, it hurt a little because this is something that I struggle with. This is something that Jenny and I as, as uh, parents struggle with. And the truth sometimes hurts, but that doesn't make it any less valuable. I believe the number one focus killer, for Americans especially, is the busyness in our daily lives. And again, the best way for me to explain this because of my job is to start with my ministry. Uh, You've heard the statistics up here from the pulpit in the past couple of years, more times than once, that we're losing our teens. Over 50% of them, when they're in their early 20s, will head out and not come back. So Northside has taken these statistics to heart, and we're trying to put programs into place that, that will curb this number. And most of the time that means connecting them with faithful and spiritually mature adults other than their parents and ministers. 
But if I look at this problem, this over 50% are leaving, it's not primarily a church problem. The church can definitely do something to, to change it. We're part of the solution. But the seeds of the exodus of our young men and women are being planted in our individual families at home. I don't think, for instance, I have 50 hours a year with these young men and women. Their parents have 3,000. That's a huge difference. And we can tell our children what we believe, and most of you guys do that. And we can take them to church for a few hours a week, and most of us do that. And those are great things, but what we truly believe is shown in our actions, and we all know this. Our time goes to what we believe is most important. And our kids see this. Households have so many important things going on at once than what's eternal and what's infinite easily becomes lost in the shuffle. It's just another one of the many important things that we do as families. I think I can connect the dots with this easily uh, by tugging at your heartstrings. That's a good way. So, so, um, so let's do that. For those of you who are parents, do you ever, are you ever scrolling through your phone or your social media or you're looking at old pictures and you see a picture of your kids when they were little and you don't even hardly remember it, but you see a time when they were tiny and we had to change their diapers and do all those things and it's kind of rough seeing that. For those of you who don't have kids, maybe you are looking through social media or through old pictures and you see a picture of a loved one who's no longer with us. And there's that bittersweet moment that you have. Finding these pictures is kind of a hard thing. Like we want to look at them, but there's this ache for the past. There's this, this, this longing for what we had. So I'll show you some of mine where I have this bittersweet feeling. So when I see these pictures, I find myself wanting to go back. I want to jump into each individual picture if it was like a little time machine and I want to enjoy the moment. I want to shift the focus and I want to make sure that I'm not just rushing out to the next important thing. And if I look at this from a kingdom perspective, I want to make sure that I will plant seeds within my children that will bring an eternal harvest. And if you, if you have children or if you've lost a loved one, you know what this is like. You know this feeling. You know that we have a few precious hours to give our children or our loved ones. And I don't want to be too busy to fill those hours with things that are of eternal weight and eternal significance. There's a five-word phrase that I have a love-hate relationship with. It's a very common phrase. I'm going to share that phrase with you this morning, but before I do, I want you guys to think of that time in your life. That time when you wish you had a little time machine and you could go back and focus and plant those seeds. The phrase is, it's later than you think. And again, every time I see this, it's like when I see, for those of you who are in the parenting class, it's like when I see that jar of marbles that show me that I'm losing time with my children. It's later than you think. And again, we have to shift that to a kingdom mindset because as families and I've been this family I've I've woken up and Ginny and I have woken up together to the realization that it's late it's perpetually later than we think because we are living such busy lives with busy with lesser things and and of course in light of eternity what is considered lesser a lot of things we do a lot of things we do 
within our families, within our relationships with each other, if we can't find the time to focus on eternal matters, or if eternal matters are given the same or lesser focus than the finite things in our lives, then we need to shift our focus. We need to do away with this world and live a life focused on Christ and his kingdom. And Toby's been a good, done a good job preaching on this one body, one hope, one baptism, all in unity. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 sums all of this up perfectly. And so if you take one thing from my lesson this morning, take Colossians 3, 1 through 4, write it down, remember it and study it this week because it will carry far more weight than all of my words. If you, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So three things, and you can see them up there. Number one, set your hearts on things above. The desire of your heart should be kingdom things. Number two, set your mind on things above. Our intellect and our drive should be set on things above. And number three, Christ, who is, or at least who should be our life, is taking us to glory. That changes our focus in this life. So if, if you are here with us today or if you're watching online and your focus has shifted the wrong way and you've realized that this morning, if you've lost focus on eternal things within your family for lesser things and you need prayers about that, or especially if you are unsure of the fact that Christ who is your life is going to take you to glory uh, then there are, are elders waiting in the back of the auditorium to meet with you and who are equipped to shift your focus to the one who can change your entire life for eternity.